happy Wednesday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And wait... Wait, Jim, I hear something. You're listening to a special Billy Campbell episode on the Rocketeer Minute. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Campbell. My goodness, boys, when when are you going to do something about that music? It's it's just mortifying. Well, we were working on the choir, but they haven't shown up yet, so we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it right next time. Don't worry. It's really um, tough to get 500 uh, madrigal singers all in one place at, at one time. We one found. of these days. For yeah, two so amateurs like our, us. Our budget doesn't allow it. Yeah, but yes. uh, but Billy, thanks so much again for being part of the show. Here are uh, 38 minutes into the into the, the greatest adventure movie, as we always say, that Walt Disney ever made. Oh, and my, my pleasure, as always. We, we are excited to be talking. We're, we're in the middle of a very, very Hollywood scene. <laughs> the, feature, the feature player is talking to the... Uh, is talking to the wallpaper, and uh, <laughs> although he has obviously uh, ulterior motives, and uh, and more than just the usual ulterior yeah. motives. <laughs> yes, well, there's motives on top of motives. Yes, and uh, and we're back. We're back with uh, Neville and Jenny. Just uh, I I really appreciate Jennifer Connelly's appearance to look like she's just been crying for quite some time, and I, I would imagine that this is not one take, but it's uh, <laughs> it's. Just, <laughs> Get, getting into that that constant i'm sure that's like glycerin and stuff like that under her eyes and things but i don't just, think so i she had a she had a she was really very um oh what do you what do you say easily into the moment wow um so i don't i doubt there was any uh glycerin happening there wow well she's doing a great job hey, I have a I have a question. I just saw a recent um, Vanity Fair video. They were talking with uh, different celebrities and uh, getting mistaken for people. And uh, they actually had an interview with Jennifer Connelly, and she she said people would come up to her and go, "Aren't you Demi Moore?" I was wondering who do you most frequently get mistaken for when somebody's like, "I know who you are." You're who, who's the most typical one that you get? Uh, well. Uh... The one that I will always remember, I don't I actually often, um, am not often mistaken for uh, for anyone else. But um, yes, there was there was one time I recall, uh, and I learned a lesson from it. I was in an airport. I think I was in the Denver airport, and um, and I could you can just tell sometimes when when people are sort of seeing you and recognizing you. And, and this guy drew a bead on me and he just started moving my direction from across the, from across the way. And, and uh, he came right up to me and he said, are you, are you? And I smiled at him and said, yes, yes, I am. And he said, David James Elliott from JAG. I knew it. I knew it. And I was like, Oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> so I just oh basically gosh. I pretended to be David James Elliott and I <laughs> signed an autograph for him and I hope I um, I hope I did him I hope I did him okay. So now I have a new uh, a new holy grail in terms of memorabilia and that's to find a Rocketeer poster autographed by David James Elliott <laughs> as Billy Campbell. But, you know, it's the strangest I, thing when when somebody spots you like that. And, you know, and that, like uh, Jim was saying, a little Vanity Fair video underscores this uh, very, very well. But it, it's strange to think that, that we, we recognize somebody and somehow we know their, 
they're somebody, but yeah. then immediately can't place, uh, you know, who they are or what we, what we might know them from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually have a mistaken celebrity story. I, I, there's, there's a thing, anybody who's ever been to L.A. knows, knows this thing. It's, there's a look. If you go into a restaurant, everybody turns around and looks at the door to figure out if you're somebody. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, just one of the, it's just one of those things. You go into a diner anywhere, everybody turns around and looks. Is that somebody? Is that somebody I should know? I, I, was, uh, I was with a, a, a good late friend of mine from San Diego who uh, uh, was visiting up in L.A., and I'd met her at a, at a diner just below the Hollywood sign, a little breakfast place near Ned Beatty's house of all places. Oh, I, I, I know. Yeah, that's right yeah. up, um, right up uh, Beachwood Canyon. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like you're heading toward the sign. So yeah. you go into this little place, and there's maybe like, I don't know, 15 tables in the whole place. And so we go, we go into this place for breakfast, and everybody turns around and looks, and there's these two women sitting across from us. And at the time, I had a – back when I had more brown hair, I, <laughs> I had a bit of a scruffy beard. It was kind of just a – yeah, more than a you know more than a three day growth, but less than um, mm. uh, you know Daniel Boone. So um, I I had I, I I sat down, and this one woman goes, "I know who you are." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> she said, "You're James Cameron, aren't you?" Oh wow! <laughs> and I said, "No." And so and so my my friend uh, my my late friend Lori said, "No, no, he is, he is. Don't tell anybody." And I'm just like, "Would you stop?" <laughs> and, wow. After after telling them, I no, I'm not, I'm not James. Cam they would not believe me yeah. that I was not James Cameron. So I wound up. My friend took out a sharpie and I actually signed their uh, their their menus. I, I wrote, "Your kings of the world, James." <laughs> I wasn't lying about the James part, so I wrote yeah, that. Yeah, that's and, true. And so I am it. sure those those two ladies. Went home from from their Hollywood trip, convinced they met James Cameron. That's I, so funny. I, so, I, you know, why, why should I spoil it for them? Why? You know, very very quickly while while we're off in the weeds, just a little bit, which we're no strangers to that here. Um, I once kind of accidentally insulted James Cameron. Um, I was at the uh, the X Prize launch of Spaceship One in the Mojave Desert, uh, which we talked about a bit with uh, when Eric Lindbergh was on, and I found myself standing next to him. And uh, they, this whole production was just amazing. They had uh, there was basically a soundtrack, a musical score to the to the launch and the space flight and everything else. It was really nice. But somebody kind of leans over to Cameron, desperate for something to say to him, and says, "Boy, this this kind of sounds like that music from Titanic, doesn't it?" And Cameron just sort of you know smiles politely and nods. And then without even thinking, I said, "Yeah, but thank God there's none of that dreadful Celine Dion." <laughs> and and Cameron just looked at me, just shot daggers, and then just walked off. Uh, and I said, "I think well, I had a chance to meet somebody interesting, and I guess we'll we'll check that one off the list." So, <laughs> so certainly James Cameron must be listening to this. So we, we, we I do apologize. The, yeah, we won't be having him on the Titanic minute whenever right. that ever happens. <laughs> but anyway, uh, well, we were talking about a movie about a guy with a rocket pack. So let's uh, let's see. Uh, and oh, and so we had a guest, didn't we, Jim? Yeah, there's, that's there's right. Some, there's a third person here, isn't there? That's right. Yeah, we're, we're uh, but we are we are talking about Hollywood, and so we're watching uh, we're watching Neville, who obviously has a lot of game. He knows how to do the whole tilt the head and talk. About oh, it. Neville has game. Uh, oh, great that, game. That voice, you know, and a wig. That wig is just. I want that wig. I am going to go to Comic Con as Neville's <laughs> as 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 the Laughing Bandit. I think that's the way to go. And then um, take take your mask off at the last minute, so we see yeah. that you're you're really Sir <laughs> Reginald. Sir Reginald, yes. Um, 
but uh, she she's going to uh, read for the part of the Saxon princess, which I would I thought the Saxon princess was the one that just said, "Oh my prince." I thought that was. Uh, that's I had always thought that as well, and I think that's how it's credited. So, is he just going to step in and and uh, and fire the producer's niece, who well, in reality well, at the time was the director's wife? I'm, I, I'm although just, although it's such a think, soap opera. In thinking back on it, this uh, Jenny originally had the line "Oh my prince," which she says here that she'd never read for the for the Saxon oh, that's princess. True. So so she could be further on down. She's basically going for Olivia de Havilland's role. Oh, and sure. uh, yeah, so he. Uh, he just works works out the whole South Seas Club, which of course, uh, poor Clifford had said, you know, why not, you know, dr- <laughs> while you're dreaming, why don't you go to the South Seas Club? So this is, and, and it's it's boring to Neville. So <laughs> right. Oh, the yeah, the way the way he lays that whole whole thing out is just is yeah. just Have you read for the wonderful. part of the Saxon princess. <laughs> yes. I think it might, <laughs> might be rather wonderful. Rather wonderful in the room. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I, it's I, just I mellifluous, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he's. Uh, I just, if if we can ever get Timothy Dalton on on the show, all I want to do is have him do my voicemail message. Jim's not here. Check back later. Yeah, it's it's like watching the watching the clouds blow away, and there's the big sunshiny smile from uh, from Jenny as she uh, she watches Neville walk away. That is a great transition to watch, and that's one of the things that's been really interesting to you know about going through this uh, this movie so slowly is is uh, is watching you know wonderfully talented cast and watching sort of the transitions just on their faces, even if you've got the volume turned down, um, you know, Billy in an earlier minute and I, I, I sorry in advance, this is just random uh, sort of sucking up and I don't mean it to be, it's quite sincere, but the, uh, what you mentioned the, Oh, my Prince line when, uh, when uh, Jenny's giving that line to cliff. Uh, if you watch your face across those few seconds uh, it's, it's fantastic. It's it's absolutely amazing to me to watch that. And I meant to bring this up then. There just wasn't enough uh, enough minutes in the day. But um, as she starts to say it, you are just instantly captivated. That oh my prince, you are just hooked. You're just you're seduced, right there. And then a fraction of a second later, you watch your face shift slightly. And even again, even with the sound off, you know now you're concerned and a little bit disappointed because. Because you think that after that, Neville Sinclair is going to be kissing, uh, kissing the girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I have a question about the background character in in Second uh, uh, Thirty Six. There's a fellow with suspenders wearing a dark blue shirt and a light gray tie. Just from the the profile and that's the way the way his hair is kind of uh, scuffed up. But I'm wondering, is that could that possibly be Joe Johnston in? in uh mufti he's just kind of like mixing in in the background oh you know let me see you read for the part of the saxon princess <laughs> yes we'll just keep coming back to that Let's well see. he's uh, oh you mean right there right in the in the background between them on jennifer's yeah. shot yeah you know it does look like joe but I can't, and there's we, we're going to have to we're going to have to do this at an, at another time to show you a minute twenty five. But we 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 have now figured out that uh, Joe is the fourth guy at the diner behind Skeets and Goose and uh, uh, Malcolm. Malcolm, yeah. What back, back I don't remember diner. that. Yeah, we're going to have to review and uh, yeah. and and consult on this on 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 the on in between our episodes. We'll yes, look at that for and, sure. And have and the we, confirmation we, later. We confirmed it was him uh, because he's not smiling. <laughs> and uh, and I have never seen a picture of Joe Johnston smiling. No, Joe, which, that's a funny thing. Yeah, 
which for boy for somebody who brings so much obvious love and affection and joy to every film he does it mm-hmm. just seems funny that to look at him he just he's sort of sort of dour and Joe's a funny but... you know he was a funny mix of things because he was really lovely to work with and he was very um, sort of low key and not uh, you know he, he didn't uh, seem to have a lot of, uh, of uh, angst or anything but uh, but you're right. He he hardly ever smiled. <laughs> well, I, I guess um, if you get if you get forty million dollars in a budget and you've got to come through for for you know the, the people that are putting the money up for this, mm. I think you'd be pretty grim about the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> the people that you have to come through for this and and whom you dislike intensely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. <sighs> but, so Billy, uh, how? Uh, <clears throat> Go ahead. Do you recall how many uh, how many days or how how long you guys would have been shooting on the? On the fake movie set here, the movie within the movie? I, you know, I don't think it was more than a couple of days, honestly. Interesting. Because um, obviously you were around for the scene earlier than this when, yeah. you know, when you helped Neville Sinclair bring down the house, as they say. And, uh, um, but yeah, just always curious about that. And there's so much. It's amazing to me, again and again and again, how much set dressing there is. These, you know, these mm. old lights and the banners and, and uh, you know, so much of what looks like vintage appropriate yeah. period film artifacts that must have been really strange to sort of build a set inside a set i i think and, it was lovely and 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 uh it really kind of um it's a, it's just a it's a really fun sequence because it's the it's the movie within the movie it's the movie sort of commenting on the fact that it is a movie i just uh i really loved it from the from the get-go I, I guess trying to remember not to not to cut when they're yelling cut. Yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> we're gonna say cut, but yeah. the other words cut we're when use. he says Oops. cut, not when that guy says cut. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The, uh, uh, I love the line. Uh, I love the line. Uh, well, maybe that. I mean, that's that might be upcoming uh, when he's trying to teach the uh, princess how to speak. You know, Honey, acting is acting like you're not acting. So act, yes. but don't act like you're acting. Exactly. <laughs> I love that one. Piece of cake, yeah. Yes. Yeah, we discussed uh, that one with uh, with an, another uh, very entertaining guest coming up here pretty soon. Yeah. Or, well, actually, I think, haven't we already? No, we haven't. No, yes, we have. We have. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. We have we discussed have. it. That was back I'm last sorry. week. I'm sorry. Recording out of sequence, it tripped yeah. me up again. <laughs> that <laughs> happens. Yeah, no, we, we, had, we had two exciting days with, uh, so, with Lisa Peterson, who was the... Uh, uh, the noble woman. Who, oh, Lisa! Uh, Lisa could... was lovely, and lovely. she she said the same of you. She was mm. she was very impressed by you. She said you're a lot of fun and you're such a nice guy. I think was the, the way she phrased it. So <laughs> it's mutual mutual admiration society there. And if um, you need me, I'll just be bouncing around in my time machine, getting my tenses uh, mixed up. <laughs> yes. That will have been a lot of fun yeah. to do when we get to it. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Uh, I, was, I was saying earlier that we I had watched uh, Robin Hood and I completely forgotten that they do have a battle in just about that very same set in uh, Arrow Flynn time fighting um, yeah. Basil Rathbone is, uh, and they they work their way down on a on a sword fight around a circular staircase toward a toward a main hall and just watching it I was like this is disturbingly familiar and <laughs> of course it's here it's 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 a backwards uh, reminiscence but uh, mm. but yeah it, it is a, it is a nice touch. Yeah. Um, we, we have a question from the reader mailbag. While I, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it uh, let's see. It says, uh, "Hey Jim and Hal, the next time you have Billy Campbell on, it would be awesome to hear more about his relationship and interactions with Dave Stevens." Joe Johnson mentioned at the D twenty three screening that Dave was always on set and practically directed it. I'm paraphrasing here, but Stevens 
is such a mysterious figure, it would be great to hear any stories or influence he had. Hell, I would even love to know if he, him and Billy ever just sat down for lunch at all. Well, we did. Um, and he, Dave was around uh, quite a bit. We became very friendly. Um, and it was it was really, really, I don't, I think uh, sort of Joe's thing about him practically directing the film was maybe a little tongue in cheek or something, but, um, um, but he was around uh, quite a bit. And uh, I really sort of treasured the time that he was around because, uh, you know, he's, he drew the thing. I mean, I, I really admired him. I, for a long time, wanted to draw comic books. It's what I sort of uh, wanted to do after I after I got out of art school in Chicago, I had planned to go to Joe Kubert's uh, School of Comic Book Art in New Jersey. And um, But, you know, life happens, and I chased a, I chased a woman from Chicago west instead of going east huh. um, to Hollywood, and, uh, and that happens. So anyway, point being, um, I'm um, very much into comics and... and uh, graphic novels and um and so practically worshipped dave's work though i found it uh, i really didn't find it until uh, i had actually been up for the movie and so it was a huge thrill for me to sit around with him and pick his brain about uh, uh drawing and and uh and he was uh, he seemed super super pleased with uh, with the choice of me and the part and we just got along really well and had a great deal of fun just hanging out there is a great picture of you two together in the uh, official the, the souvenir magazine, the Disney, I think Disney Tops magazine. Mm. And uh, Jim, I know we've talked about whether we'd be okay to scan a couple of images for that and plead fair use and share them out there. So we'll we'll figure out if that's okay. It's part of, it's part of the review, yeah. So it's, that's true. It is review, part of the review. We're reviewing the movie, so we and, can talk and about reviewing that. the movie and the magazine. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, yeah, and and you two, you I mean, looking at that picture, you two did really resemble each other. And you were saying that in an earlier episode, you were saying how Dave really drew himself as the Rocketeer. And, yeah. You know, that, that's kind of obvious when you see yeah. the picture of him. Um, and speaking, uh, before we get too, uh, too far away from this one, speaking of viewer mail, or listener mail, rather, um, I actually got one, too, and Jim doesn't, uh, doesn't know about this one. It, it was a text message to me. Billy, you, uh, uh, again, assuming that uh, we can trust the historical record, hmm. um, you did an episode of Frasier. Yes. Yes, I did. And um, so a friend of mine, let's call her Megan, because that's her real name, um, <laughs> is uh, rather obsessed with the show. And uh, um, just adored you as Clint Weber and, uh, and said that we should either, A, ask you uh, if you know what's in, uh, I believe it's the drink called the Pink Weber, mm-hmm. or dare you to sing a bar of the song Isn't It Romantic? Oh, good God. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, I, can, I can't really do either of those things uh, <laughs> because, uh, one, I have no idea what's in a Pink Weber. Um, though I could uh, just uh, sort of decide what's in a pink Weber. And I remember one New Year's Eve, I made the fatal mistake of uh, uh, partying with my sister. Uh, and I had a, she had got me a bottle, of, uh, a bottle of tequila. And she also had champagne, a magnum of champagne in her fridge, and some pink grapefruit juice. Oh, my which goodness. I, 
I combined them all wow. and made really what was rather a tasty drink, but um, I was violently, violently ill. So I'll, I'll say that is what a Pink Weber is, <laughs> which I Finally. will never, I will never parts, again, yeah. I will never again drink. Um, and, uh, and then as far as uh, singing a few bars of, of that, I, I can't, I cannot, as my mom was fond of saying, I cannot carry a tune in a bucket. Um, <laughs> well, so, that was the gag on the episode, though, wasn't it? That was yeah. the, sort of the one thing you couldn't do, or that yeah. sorry, Clint Weber couldn't do. Is, I think that's right. Is, you know, and, uh, handsome it was, and witty and all that. You know, even things, though I, I'm so self-conscious about singing that, you know, in front of people, of course, I sing to myself all the time, but uh, that... Even though the character was supposed to be, uh, you know, sing horribly, I was, and and of course I did, I, I was still incredibly self-conscious about it. No. I'm like, uh, it's so weird. Oh, so that's weird. tough. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to live with this forever. Everybody bringing it up years from now. I love that show. And yes. <laughs> Remember that time you did such a bad job of singing? Uh, well, it's uh, like with poor Lisa. Remember that time yeah. when you, you did a great job of acting like a bad actress? So. <laughs> Although she told us nobody ever brings it up. She, she said even her friends <laughs> forgot that she was in the movie. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway. with this, Leave it to it, us. It, yeah, we we brought her back. We brought it. We, she made her come back through us. Mm. But we're go, we're going to leave the world of Hollywood here and go back up to the world of uh, Santa Maria mm. with, with that fantastic tracking shot of the three planes, the the, the biplane and two oh, more planes yeah. just oh, lapping yeah. the course of the Bendix, and you get a, a good view of the scale difference between the the force perspective of the der- the oil derricks as the derricks in the front are about twice the size of the derricks in the rear. Uh, uh, that's about second forty five of this current minute and. Oh, right. uh, there's a there's a big derrick and a very little derrick, but it, it it does look good when you're shooting along the horizon. And this uh, you know this scene and everything, all the aerials shot around Santa Maria are just a you know they're a vintage airplane spotter's dream. Uh, there's so many things to see, and and I know we'll get into that more uh, as we go on. But uh, just very quickly, since the first time we've seen uh, seen them in the air, these three hero airplanes in front, you've got a replica of the Travel Air Mystery Ship, which uh, mm. we've talked about that a little bit. We've talked about Poncho Barnes uh, racing that airplane, Jimmy Doolittle racing uh, racing those. Uh, five of them built, sort of one and a real ones were built. This is a beautifully done replica. Uh, one survives uh, fully intact on display at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. Uh, and then another original one was uh, was in pretty bad shape uh, after a crash, but the, the bits and pieces of it are in the UK, hopefully to be restored. Uh, right behind that, uh, the silver one uh, is the, uh, a 19, I think it's a 1936 Ryan STA. And then there's the, uh, the uh, Great Lakes uh, 2T1A biplane behind that. And that airplane was built, uh, oh boy, uh, I'm trying to recall exactly, probably right around that, uh, that same time, that mid thirties, uh, mid thirties time frame. Hmm. Um, what Let me I ask you, sir. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, please. Uh, just to, as a as a airplane know nothing, um, w- w- would biplanes have been racing monoplanes, or are they are they sort of? Is there anything inherently less zippy about a biplane than a monoplane? Wow, you you sound like a plant. That's wonderful. What a great question, Billy. Um, <laughs> have a seat, uh, pour a cup of coffee, and uh, for the next two hours. Uh, um, so, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, it is a great question. Well, you know, well, there have been some uh, enormously fast and streamlined biplanes over the years. Um, the, uh, the more surface area you have out there, and then in particular, the more lift you're generating, which two wings generate more lift than one, simply mm. put, then the more drag. 
So these uh, these airplanes uh, in three here are in fact not well matched at all. Although kind of interestingly, the the Great Lakes biplane and then the Silver Ryan STA, their top speeds were very very close. That would be a meaningful race, even though the Silver airplane looks so much sleeker. Hmm. Um, it just it has to do with being largely being a smaller engine. Hmm. However, the Traveler Mystery Ship uh, that's an airplane that could do 230, 240, pushing 250, maybe not quite 250 miles an hour. And the other two airplanes, uh, their top speeds are about half of that. Okay. So, so not a not a real valid race here. What what you're seeing here is not racing. What you're seeing here is beautifully done. You know, formation mm. flying as we're yeah. as we're cruising around. But uh, yeah. but absolutely lovely shots and uh, oh, all of the airplanes scattered around. Yeah, uh, you've got the Jenny in the background there. I think is on the ground. Yeah, actually, right behind mm-hmm. the traveler, mm-hmm. you've got uh, that's Miss Mabel. That's the standard J one. We're just mm-hmm. like a Jenny, just a little bit bigger. Okay. And there is uh, there is what I'm pretty sure is a Jenny uh, that we see a little bit later parked along the ramp. And then also right back there, you see that beautiful silver airplane with a single round engine up on top. That's the yeah. only one of its kind that exists. Uh, it still still exists, still flyable today. It's called the Fleetwing Seabird. It's an amphibian. And I didn't know this till just recently, but it's uh, it was fairly recently picked up by uh, a friend of mine in Greg Herrick, who's uh, based out in Minnesota, but has a, a staggering, staggering airplane collection all over the place. Just great, great stuff. thing for the land of lakes. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then there's the monocoupe there as well. That that beautiful white yeah, plane with the red the, wings. Yeah, you see the the red and white monocoupe, and there's. Gullwing Stinsons and Waco Cabins and uh, BK so cool. Bird, Cessna Airmaster, a uh, little bit of little bit of everything. There is also uh, this is also one of the only minutes, and you you see uh, an airplane that's near and dear to me, probably the vintage type I have the most time in, and that's the the Havilland Tiger Moth. Right at second forty nine, you see this uh, sort of all green airplane, like a dark green fuselage and pale green wings and tail. Uh, although that may just be the lighting. Um, so British biplane, again, very appropriate for the era. just didn't have a huge role in here. But another oh, one the, of those airplanes we talked about uh, tied to Great Waldo Pepper. Right. Oh, the green one down there on the with the light green wings? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and, wow. How about that blue one? Uh, I don't know. At the, at the end of the line of the Bendix, I was just wondering what that one It's is. hard to get. I, I think in later minutes we might get. Oh, sorry. You're talking about the small dark blue one or the blue and white biplane? The uh, no, it's a it's a monoplane, and okay. it's, it's at the end of the it's at the end of the row. There's like four planes lined up. There's so it uh, starts with the green tiger moth, and then at the other end of the row is the little blue one you're talking about. Yeah, that's the Cadrone uh, racer replica. Okay. That was another one of these things done by uh, by Bill Turner, who did the Miss Brown or should be Miss Los Angeles, the Brown B two. Uh, he built the the Hero GB uh, GBZ replica, uh, and uh, and then this one. Uh, this French racer, again, from the era, one of the just most ridiculously sort of sleek and modern things. Um, it looks like it should be quite a few years newer than just about everything else there, but it, it's it's really it's really not. It's very appropriate for the period. Um, that airplane's been out here at Oshkosh a couple of times in a, one year. I think we talked about this in an early, early minute. We had it on display with a whole a collection of classic Citroen cars. It was just beautiful. Just slightly off subject, I'm looking at all the the buildings, uh, the hangars and stuff there. How how much of that did they keep at Santa Maria? There's three hangars and then the sort of little place that served as an office with the wings over the door. Right. To my knowledge, um, and uh, and we are in talks with uh, the curator of the Santa Maria Museum to come on and hopefully, uh, at least chronologically as these minutes go, uh, should be very soon. 
Um, to my knowledge, and Jim, jump in if, if you know better, I think the only thing that really survives is the big Bigelow, the Hangar 3. Oh, gotcha. Sort of the yeah. hero hangar, and that's uh, that's the basis of the museum itself. Right. And th- and this is very locked off. There's a in between the hangar three, that entire runway and everything is fenced off, and there's a line of trees along uh, uh, along that line. So that's it's not as open as as it looks here. Hmm. Over the past thirty years, I guess that's expected. The uh, Red Great Lakes biplane is on display, or at least it was fairly recently at the Santa Maria Museum. So if you want to see one of the uh, one of the hero airplanes from this shot, it's uh, it's still right there. Uh, still flyable condition, still actively registered, but displayed at the Santa Maria Museum. Okay, I, I have a I have a minor correction from one of our uh, listeners. Uh, George Bradenhoff writes in that the Cadron C four sixty won the nineteen thirty six Grieve race and the Thompson race, but did not participate in the Bendix race. Ah, sure. So I can certainly understand that it wouldn't be necessarily there participating. And so I just say, but sort of generally speaking, in terms of could this airplane physically have been there in the era? In other words, it's not a 1945 airplane, something like that. Right. But that's that's a that's a wonderful detail to uh, detail to know. This is and this is this is people were attracting to the show, and I really really do appreciate all the all the folks writing in and, and, and talking about this stuff because it's it's fascinating. It's even more fascinating when you hear when you hear more facts about the thing. Um, but uh, and Billy, you were in the you were in the middle of all this watch. I mean, I, I would guess that some of this was shot second unit that you didn't have to be there. But uh, but you must have been seeing some of these planes whipping overhead while they were shooting this. Oh yeah, we were. Well, I mean, we were up in. Uh, I was up in Santa Maria for the whole time, uh, and so you know, often I was was out there when I was not in scenes, just uh, camped out by the camera and uh, watching all the fun. So I got to see uh, got to see most of it. Wow. Um, uh, Hal, can you talk anything about the the gas bags that are there? Are they um, proto- or are they typical for that era? So they seem uh, they seem a little bit old older to me. Those are you know those would be uh, as you correctly pointed out. Um, at least the one on the right mm. uh, is a is a gas balloon. So that would be uh, filled with helium. You know, so it's sealed at the bottom. One on the left actually, I think, is looks like a traditional hot air balloon that's. Maybe a bit of set dressing supposed to look like this other other gas balloon. So those were things uh, that uh, um, certainly would uh, you know would have existed quite a while before this era. That's not to say you wouldn't have some of them around and still be using for some things. But basically, uh, um, going back as far as the U.S. Civil War, uh, which I know has has come up in conversation on this show before, um, really the first uh, the first iteration of any kind of aerial unit for any u.s military was the use of balloon just like that one on the right uh, on a tether they would you know raise them up for observation purposes and to keep bringing things full circle we've talked about uh, the famous uh, pilot poncho barnes and um her grandfather uh, thaddeus lowe was the one who uh, who kicked that whole thing off so it was technically speaking if you if you allow a loose definition of the term was sort of the first military aviator in u.s history yeah i i if if i'm not mistaken i think it was at the battle of fair oaks which was in uh southern fairfax county uh they were used as uh, observation balloons being able to see uh past where you know where the where the artillery lines were on the following hill and uh they really didn't t- change that much in the time from you know i, I guess they were still being used in, in this round shape in the 30s boy but... you you'd you'd have wanted to be really careful about being out of range <laughs> yeah <laughs> and one of those things i can't imagine too many things more horrifying than suddenly realizing that you're just within range <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and your balloon has been popped. Whoops. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure parachutes wouldn't be invented for another uh, 40, 50 years. Right. Uh, a little bit of a trick. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just amazing seeing all the, I, I can imagine, well, we are going to be talking with the uh, with the air coordinator here, but just, just trying to line this thing up and getting getting the um, – <laughs> The request for proposals from from Disney of what we're gonna need is this this and this. it's like this is this must be a dream come true for for people putting together uh, air races and st- oh, you know, yeah. stuff for movies. Just a, a fascinating time. Oh, I'm seeing. I just saw. I just saw a crew truck. Yeah. Oh, did you really? Yeah. yeah. If you look in the um, so you know when we cut to the three planes, the first shot they're coming. Right. Then there's a reverse sort of behind them. Right. And just Oh look at that. Look at, on the left hand <laughs> in the left hand corner there's a crew truck. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> How have so, we never seen this before? No, I'd never seen it. That's you, amazing. You would have to it it would go by so fast. I mean I'm oh, gonna play yeah. it in real speed here. Right. And yeah, you just Yeah, you just two, two <laughs> frames. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but That's sure funny. enough. Well, uh, it pays to go through these things uh, yeah. so minutely. It really does. Uh, in an up, uh, a fairly quickly upcoming minute, uh, we'll see a modern, uh, oh, what what at the time, sort of modern day Cessna 172 or 182 sort of motoring along, just minding its own business while Miss Mabel takes off. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Spoiler uh, alert. Sorry. Oh, I can't we'll to wait w- to see that. Watch for that in the following minute. <laughs> yes. Oh, and... but so much fun. So much fun to just mm. go through these things and, and soak up the detail. And there's, it's fascinating to find something like that truck, but it's, you know, there's some works like this where you take great joy and just slavering over every little possible, you mm. know, missed this or missed that. Mm. And, uh, and to me in, in this movie, it's very different because they're so, it's so rare. Normally the deeper you go, the more impressed you are by the detail. Mm. So when you do find something, uh, like that truck it's it's just it's almost a pleasant surprise like wait a minute maybe the people making this movie were human after <laughs> maybe all they were human yes yeah. maybe maybe <laughs> they were if only we um, knew somebody involved with the production like somebody in the <laughs> perhaps in the acting department <laughs> um i have a question on the tail number for that uh as as we're going back we're seeing malcolm at the very end of this minute oh uh, right and uh, it looks like nc 469 dash yeah 469 yankee and that's a C for commercial, right? So it's a commercial plane? Right. At the time, they were uh, there was a short period when we were differentiating N numbers. There were uh, there was uh, C for commercial, uh, NX for experimental, like NX211, the Spirit of St. Louis, which I know we talked about. Uh, there was a restricted, uh, and there, was, there were a few others, too. And it, it wasn't long before uh, we just consolidated and said, no, it's just, it, it has an N number period. So that's a, a Stinson SM8 you know, classic sort of touring airplane. Wouldn't be involved in a race, but that would certainly be an airplane that somebody might use uh, to for his crew to get to the race, something like that. And and, uh, and what did what does N stand for? So N is just is the letter that was assigned. Uh, uh, that just means it's a U.S. registration. Oh, okay. So yeah. um, maybe national, maybe you know. Yeah, just, it could be. Any number of uh, there's a number of sort of conflicting explanations out there. I've yet to see a definitive one. Exactly what that process was. It's just the uh, the ICAO or its forerunners, you know, help sort of define, uh, you know, what countries got what letter. And some of them are intuitive. Canada is is C, and then mostly letters. Uh, yeah, Deutschland, uh, Germany, Germany is D, D and yeah, Italy I, and yeah, Great Britain is G. 
all those things that we got. And so I assume it's for United States. I, I have no idea what else uh, what uh, what else it could be. But since that's come up twice now, I really should I should study that more deeply and uh, and then be a, magically be an expert next time we talk. Any idea what that logo is on the on the back of the Stinson? The, the arrow pointing straight in the air. Oh, that's that is the that's the Stinson logo itself. The, oh, the sort okay. of the posed poised uh, bow, firing the arrow. And uh, yeah, they used that uh, in one form or another. Uh, pretty much all of their all of their airplanes. Wow. And if so. uh, we're we're noticing, speaking of logos, we're seeing uh, Bigelow still trying to figure out Malcolm's role. He is he does work for Bigelow as he has the Bigelow. Uh, leisure suit on (laughs) and he's all dressed up for his he's wearing what he wore last night (laughs) yeah right all dressed up for his big day in front of the crowd he did put on the hat that's true we've got to give him that and then you see some people holding those bigelow uh the air circus programs which you see a lot of repros of those on ebay and i've seen a couple that at least claim to be original over the years but have and the and the extra making the horrible mistake of staring directly at the camera in second fifty nine. Where's it? Second fifty nine. Yeah, he's that. holding he's holding the field glasses on the left, and it's like, hi, mom. <laughs> oh, there he goes. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. I oh, love I love watching uh, I, I love watching uh, background. Uh, so, Sometimes, if I've seen a movie more than once, often I will be looking, just watching the background players, because uh, oh. it can be uh, it can be quite amusing. Yeah, I uh, later on this uh, in 2017, I'm going to be working on uh, a Hitchcock minute with uh, North by Northwest, and my one of my favorite extra scenes is the kid sticking his fingers in his ears before. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Carrie Green gets shot, and <laughs> it's not even subtle too. I mean, he just brings his fingers right up to his ears. And, uh, That's fantastic. It's, it's a classic. And, you know, mentioning very quickly, Jimmy, you're talking about wardrobe and things. It's uh, it's amazing to point out uh, just how beautifully everybody was dressed. Mm. You know, as, yeah. uh, as somebody involved with the uh, you know the biggest air show in the world here, yeah. I. Uh, Given our heat, I can't say that I wish we all still dressed this way, but you know, maybe one day I, wouldn't I it be nice? Do yeah. I really kind of do? I do too. Yeah, I do too. You know, wear yeah. shorts and tank tops and flip flops and things, but you yeah. know, the, the the women with these lovely hats and every guy's got a fedora or gadabout of some kind and mm. ties and vests and things. It's, ah, it's I, I just think there's nothing like a good straw hat. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, exactly. just, just something dapper. Uh, yep. Yeah. Anyway, this was a <laughs> this has been a great minute. I think this has been a, uh, we've gone from Hollywood to uh, uh, to the airfield, and uh, and much more to come. I, I, oh gosh, somebody has one of those Bigelow's pennants. Now I've got a. <laughs> I, I just noticed at the end at the very end. Oh, of the yep. second. The woman with her with her white gloves. Green also, a thing we don't see at modern air shows very often is is somebody in white gloves. So. And that's that's great too because there's uh, there's similar pennants and maybe even one of those uh, up in the Bulldog Cafe and all the great background scenes, mm-hmm. but some of those pennants are also real air race pennants from the Cleveland races of the day. Yeah. yeah. So just it, it fits in just perfectly. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. I need one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have we, uh, some people have sent in pictures of uh, the, those many the, the things that Malcolm is handing out those those uh, handouts from I think all the all the extras wound up with at least one or two of them. And uh, they're, they're available on, on eBay, as we've noticed. 
but uh, really just the amount of detail in all this stuff is fantastic even even if you're not seeing all of it on the camera you get the sense that there's yeah. a lot more detail there that you know that they took the time to get all this together yeah uh, but uh, a great a great time was had by all anyway uh well this has been a good minute that we've squeezed every last drop out of i think <laughs> We'll, we'll leave you to your uh, champagne and <laughs> margaritas. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but uh, Billy, thanks again for being on the show. And we will have you on again. Uh, I can't, can't exactly say the time. We'll see, we'll see what comes up next. But yes. <laughs> stay tuned. Um, for, for people who want to leave us more questions for, for Billy on his next round, and we do have a lot of other fascinating people coming in. I mean, you know, Billy is our most fascinating guy, but we do have other people with other topics. So if you have questions about the movie, send them into us on a bunch of different social media, Twitter, uh, Rocketeer Minute Facebook, uh, Rocketeer Minute's Bulldog, uh, the Rocketeer's Bulldog Cafe uh, at uh, Facebook.com slash Rocketeer Minute, and also the big site, RocketeerMinute.com, where you can leave uh, messages on any one of our episodes and we will get back to you as as can be seen by this show so uh check back with us here tomorrow and we'll follow more things that are going on in the air show and uh, what's malcolm gonna do to make up for what happened with poor jenny uh, well, i wonder yeah <laughs> we're gonna find out so i uh, check back with us here on the rocketeer minute so until next time over and out over and out boys thanks Get him, kid.